0: Okay, so that little clinking sound is the frog that we're listening to. Yeah. It's a bit anticlimactic, that one. You did warn me it was a bit anticlimactic.
1: I did warn you it was a bit anticlimactic, but uh, it is explainable why it's anticlimactic.
0: Okay. Well, so trying to guess the name of this, I have to go with something to do with that sound. I would describe it as like a clink. Does the name of the frog relate to the sound? Can I Not ask that? Is that too. Not oh great okay cool.
1: Just go for genus. Won't go for species. Just try and get genus.
0: <laughs> That's very kind.
1: Because I don't think there's a common name for this one.
0: Right. Okay. Good.
1: Okay. The thing is, you're going to kick yourself when you know. Because I'm going I'm to continue to give you clues. Because I reckon we okay. can get you there. Because maybe this was a frog that, if it heard its own calls it would do better than what it's doing now.
0: Ah, oh, so it's deaf. Oh, okay. So is this a species of, um, what was it we were talking about in the last one? Brachycephalus.
1: Right, there we go. So a <gasps> brachycephalus. <laughs> Mate. <'Cause laughs> okay, I, I got it. I couldn't resist looking up what those little guys sounded like because they're just so comedically tiny. Like what possible noise could a frog that small make? And it turns out, it's like what you just heard. So that was a call from Brachycephalus Tridactylus. Okay. Found a wonderful paper that was re the advertisement calls of that species of Tridactylus. And they had a whole bunch of audio from Tridactylus. Superb.
0: That's cool. Yeah.
1: And then I sort of, you know went down the whole rabbit hole of what you were talking about last week with them not being able to hear it and just realizing, oh, that's Brachycephalus. These are the ones with the weird ears that just don't allow them to jump properly, don't allow them to hear their own calls and they're just a little mess. Yeah, yep. And it sort of makes so much sense that their call is so sort of, I was going to say rudimentary, which is it's probably not right. It's probably got a lot of complexity to it if it's being used as a character to separate species. But certainly from the, you know, listening to that compared to some of the other calls we've heard over the the episodes, it's pretty basic
0: it is basic and if you were to tell me that is because the common name of these guys is pumpkin toadlets and that's the name for the group and uh, or the genus and or yeah saddleback, we just... saddleback toads or saddleback toads maybe maybe there's a subtle difference between those two things i don't know but yeah crucially a lot of these species are thought to be on the way to evolving no call because they are themselves deaf right the theory is that the vocal sac moving is actually visual communication which kind of renders the sound itself meaningless but yeah, I mean, that. if you were to say to me, pick out from a lineup of frog Calls the one which is evolutionarily on its way out and is like 50% of the way to being right. silent, that would be it. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool to hear, actually. Yeah, it's really nice.
1: The whole Saddleback Toad name comes from them having a bony shield that covers their vertebrae. So not a name derived from the call, fortunately, which I think makes sense.
0: Yeah, so this is actually cool because we're starting this episode on vocal communication of a frog. I got it right so I'm actually beating you two against one now Ben, even though you gave me some of the kindest, most generous clues of all time. I'm still having a point point. and um, yeah, this kind of like ties in nicely to the subject of the whole episode and this is episode, what, 169 because we're just talking about vocalizations in herpetofauna again.
1: I'm throwing you off. Stop the presses. They also fluoresce under fluorescent light. Under UV. What, what, what? Their bones glow. Pumpkin toadlets' bones glow. Or saddleback toads have glowy
0: bones. But we don't know why, do we? No. Yeah, one of the theories about that is that they can see it and that it's like in the dark, dark night of the forest floor. They can tell who's who. Yeah, but these are all... animals, so it could just be an accident. Additional aposemitism oh yeah more warning for the birds that probably makes more sense because mm-hmm. i feel like birds can generally see more stuff and these are diurnal frogs yes, yeah. yes. very anyway,
1: sorry. interesting carry on i was scrolling through my little info and i saw a
0: glowing frog and i was like i can't pass that up Now you gotta mention it when they glow it's pretty nifty all right so yeah we're talking about animal vocalizations in a few different species so let's get on to some papers Alright, so this first one is by Brum and Zollinger, published in 2017. Vocal Plasticity in a Reptile. Bang, what a title. Published in Proceedings of the Royal Society B.
1: What's a reptile? you want to get into
0: Proc B. Who knows? Who cares? It's general. It's for a general audience. Put it in your journal. It's a good one. So that's what they've done and they got it in Proc B, so fair play. This is about vocal plasticity. So the ability to change the sounds you make based on what's going on around you. So they talk about this thing called the Lombard effect or the Lombard reflex. And this is the yes. evolutionary, sorry, evolutionary, involuntary tendency of speakers to increase their vocal effort when speaking in some a sort of loud area to enhance the audibility of their voice. So I like thinking about humans as the animals that we are. And for humans, the Lombard effect, so when we're talking in a loud environment, we do all kinds of different things to our voices, which aid us in being heard. We'll speak more loudly. We shift to a higher pitch. We increase the duration of vowel sounds. And beyond that, those are kind of Lombard effect things. But we also use more lung capacity. And we also tend to use more exaggerated facial expressions. All of these are means by which we kind of try and make ourselves understood in a loud environment. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we don't generally talk about humans in this podcast, we talk about reptiles and amphibians. So on to some stuff about lizards. This paper is actually about a gecko. And we're talking about a lizard here with a very recognizable call. Arguably, I don't know if you can think of any with more, with a more recognizable call. I would argue this has probably got the most recognizable call Easily. of any lizard. Yep. Probably any any reptile or amphibian anywhere. Definitely. And yes, yeah, the tokay gecko, gecko, gecko. The scientific name of the tokay Gecko is Gecko Gecko. So it's the OG Gecko, much like Naya Naya last week was the original snake. And much like That's Bufo original. Bufo is the original Toad. Here we've got the original Gecko, Gecko Gecko. And I don't mean that in the sense of like it evolved first or anything scientific like that. I just mean it got the name. So it's the champion of all geckos. And um, <laughs> yeah, the cool, the cool is a series champion. of. Yeah. And I mean, it may. they are, they are champions. They're like, wonderful. They're pretty. They really are, uh, yeah they're great yeah they're a joy to see and they're super common so anywhere you go where they live you'll probably see one they love houses but yeah so the call is like a they call it a series of cackles followed by some syllables and the most striking thing about this call is that it's onomatopoeic so it sounds like not only the word gecko but also the word toke. so whichever way you kind of interpret it you can go either way of it it's either like a toke or a gecko depending on i mean there's a bit of individual variation i've noticed variation between them but let's hear that call and um, see if you think it sounds more like gecko or toke. First you have the cackles. It's a bit of cackling. Bit chickeny, that one. <laughs> there it is. So I'm actually leaning more towards gecko on that one. Yes, I would agree. But either way, pretty badass call. It missed
1: the sort of final. I feel like some of them do a final, just like right at the end, of the <laughs> like they're they've just run out of energy. They are done.
0: Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. They do often round up with a. Mrawr. But also, you don't always hear the cackling. I find sometimes you just hear the gecko bit. Yes, but that could be where they are in relation to you. Good point well made. So the Lombard effect we were talking about earlier, the idea that animals change the nature of the sounds they make to be heard better in loud environments. There's a whole long list of other animals that the Lombard effect is known from beyond just humans. Loads of birds, cats, chickens, which are a bird, marmosets, tamarins. So you know those little. They're like kind of like people but very small. Yeah, and hairy. And hairy. Yeah, cool hair though. Japanese quail. That's another bird. Don't know why that wasn't lumped in with birds. Some other birds macaques again tiny hairy man primate primate yep squirrel monkeys that's about it oh no whales beluga whales beluga whales if it's loud where the beluga whale is they'll do different stuff and some bats do it and there's even a frog called the tungara frog which is known to do it but crucially no lizard is known to employ the lombard effect to sort of make itself heard better. So the researchers here created a study where they thought they would see how geckos responded to noise. So they had a bunch of male tokay geckos, which are, I believe, the louder of the two uh, two sexes, because they tend to hold territories and it's them that are doing the call to sort of ward off the other males um, and sort of attract the females. And so they played the geckos a bunch of white noise. So it was really loud where they were. And then they checked to see if the ones which were exposed to the loud treatment were changing their calls in an effort to be heard better or not. And that was the study, really. Pretty straightforward, pretty simple. Kind of disappointingly, though, they didn't really find evidence of what they considered to be the Lombard effect in Tokei geckos. They didn't, like, change sort of any of the elements of the call to make themselves heard better. So they weren't getting louder or increasing. yeah. Yeah, yeah. But they did they made a specific type of noise more frequently because that noise is better heard in a loud environment, right?
1: Yeah, they swapped out the cackles for more gecko slash toke calls. The cackle mm-hmm. tends to be more rumbly that like you heard at the beginning of the call, and the gecko certainly has a bit more kick to it. You could imagine that cutting through background noise more effectively than something sort of rumblier, like the cackle.
0: mm yeah. So although they don't see evidence of the Lombard effect, which would just be that, you know, one of the calls itself changing, they do establish that a reptile adjusts its calls in some way as a relate in relation to environmental yeah. noise. So although it's not changing per se, they are using one element of it more frequently in order to make themselves better heard. So they are kind right. of it does demonstrate vocal plasticity. They are making a decision to like try and make sounds which can yep. be heard better. Which, in is given that that's the first time in any reptiles, a pretty nice finding. It does kind of suggest that maybe, because we have so much power to control our voice. If I was to play you any sound in the world, you could like try and emulate it right and it would be clear to me that you're at least sort of giving it a bash your voice is capable of making like a wide variety of sounds yes this to me suggests that the gecko kind of has a preset noise that it can make by doing its thing and it can't really like make adjustments to that it can just make a certain suite of noises and choose when to make them
1: yeah they don't have the same flexibility and there's an interesting little added bit of analysis they did that reveals that there is a trade-off between the number of cackles and the number of gecko calls. Like there is some sort of overall limit to the amount of calling they can do in one sort of uh, whatever the right word is stanza of calling. I don't know what what I'm trying to, what word I'm trying to think of here, but basically the more geckos you do, the fewer cackles you do or can do the more cackles you do, the fewer geckos you're going to be able to do. So it's, They're suggesting that maybe there is some fundamental limitation to the amount of noise or calls that can be done in one bout from these lizards. And I do like I was bringing up the sort of weird ending call that you hear sometimes that sort of like they're sort of given up. And they do mention that potentially that limitation is like muscle fatigue or uh, they just run out of air to be able to push through to make these calls. Because mammals and birds have different systems for pushing air more continuously over whatever system of vocalization you've got. And maybe the tokes don't have that to the same extent, so they do have that limitation.
0: Mm, yeah. Yeah, they still do change the sound. they change the way they're communicating, but yes. not in the way that the researchers expected. But either way, it's yes. a cool finding and I mean yeah, I can imagine there's lots and lots of uh, scope to sort of find this out in other animals. I remember we did a paper about frogs in the city changing their calls uh, yes. a while back. So yeah, I'm sure this is kind of the sort of tip of the iceberg. And given how many species are living alongside people in like dramatically modified environments, I'm sure that there is like a whole host of reptile and amphibian sound making that is going to be changing over time. And yeah, I well, bet you will come across it. And tokes
1: have this wonderful adaptability. I mean, they live so close with people so often as well as being forest dwelling lizards. And I wouldn't be surprised if there was some behavioral plasticity in finding areas that better resonate. Because you will find mm. them in tubes and you will find them in sort of metal, uh, sort of roofing areas that amplify their call or echo their call a lot better than if they were just sitting on a table somewhere or something. So I wouldn't be surprised if, because they can't up the amplitude presumably can't up the amplitude in a noisier environment maybe they can find another solution and that's crawling into someone's unused trombone or something like that and then
0: calling Mm. from in there yeah you do find them in a lot of pipes and stuff
1: they love those little pipes i mean that just might be a safety thing but i tell you what their calls echo through those pipes something fierce
0: yeah yeah they totally do that's a really cool idea yeah well um yeah so we've got tokay sound there we thought we'd do another one though. We thought we'd sort of double down on the uh, sound papers for this episode because tokays, as cool as they are, there are other reptiles out there making sounds. So let's move on to another paper. This one's actually about something completely different. And this one's by LaCroix, Davey, and Rollinson, 2022. Hatchling vocalizations and beneficial social interactions in subterranean nests of a widespread reptile. Animal behavior. Again, keeping it vague in the title, mysterious, which widespread reptile is it? Well, it's a turtle and thankfully not a tortoise because tortoise sounds are unpleasant. They make sounds when they mate and it's really awkward and we don't want to hear that. I did have a sound possibly lined up, but we agreed there was just no need. <laughs> Because t- tortoises mating is really ghastly to listen to. But yeah, we're talking about a turtle and it's a really cool species, actually. The snapping turtle, which is uh Chelydra serpentina. Um, unfortunately, we don't have any sounds for this one because the recordings weren't too good. But that shouldn't detract from what is a really cool study. Ben, you kind of mentioned this in passing a few weeks ago, that there was this paper about turtles communicating while they were still in eggs in the nest. And so these authors decided to do an experiment to see if they could understand why these turtles might be making these noises. And to do that, they buried a load of... They basically collected up a load of uh, snapping turtle eggs, buried them in sand in jars so they could sort of keep an eye on them. And what they found is that when they're pipping, so when they're using their egg tooth to slit the shell when they're sort of like first coming out, and during the time when they're emerging from the nest, the snapping turtles are actually making little squeaking sounds.
1: They're, I think that's the best way to describe it too. They're sort of like little sort of cheeps or, or squeaks or they're not... Again, I, they're, I feel like with the frog call at the beginning they're not particularly sophisticated sounding calls but that might just be the way they're sort of subdivided up with the recordings. They're sort of like a cl- yeah, a click, a chip, a chirp.
0: Yeah, it's just like a little squeak. And so... What they were looking at was to see... Essentially, they kind of thought that the chirping that they're making, these little squeaks, might be a signal to the other turtles that it's time to hatch. Like, okay, right, let's get squeaking. Everyone in the nest knows it's time to hatch. Then if we hatch all at the same time, it'll be sweet because the predators won't be able to gobble us all down. Right. However, they did find some stuff that was interesting about the fact, you know, the, the noises, but they didn't find that it affected the timing of hatching. So... Even eggs which were kept alone would still hatch at the same time, sort of with the group, more or less. But they did find out some other stuff. For example, eggs seem to hatch more quickly when they're in a group, and the babies generally seem to be heavier when the eggs were kept in a big group rather than kept in solitary conditions, surrounded by fake eggs, which is kind of...
1: What did they call that? There was a specific term that they were using for the...
0: Yeah, it was like social something.
1: Sorry, I've completely thrown you off and, and not had the. That's all right. The term to hand, but there was a, there was a term they were using for. Uh,
0: what, for the benefit to the eggs of being in a group? Yes. Social facilitation.
1: That's the one. Social facilitation. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Apologies. Yeah. yeah, which is interesting because, you know, they hatch faster when they're communicating with each other through the eggs, so it would appear, which is kind of nuts. Like, how is that happening?
1: Yes, it sort of implies that without the calling, they're sort of ready but not motivated.
0: Yeah, it's a really
1: weird but one. It's one has one to motivated at some point to start calling and to start going, right?
0: Yeah, it's a difficult one. And, and the fact that their babies are heavier as well is just like, how? what's the mechanism controlling that? It's super weird. Like, yeah. Hard to get your head around. Honestly, it's one of those papers where.
1: The heavier one I could understand if it was like decreasing stress what was it two three episodes ago we were talking about the snakes and the social buffering of having fellows nearby mm. and i wonder whether this is also something along those lines because we know turtles are making use of that whole if you have all your young turtles bust out the nest and make a break for the water at the same time the sheer number of them sort of means that some of them will make it there and not all get uh sort of taken by, by various beach predators before they can reach the water. So maybe there's some sort of mechanism for them to be reinforced to stay together, something reinforcing that, that will to stay together because it's such a beneficial strategy getting to the water.
0: Yeah, mm, yeah. And yeah, it just also happens to be
1: a lower stress thing and therefore they get bigger and off they go.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, if they're less stressed, they're probably, yeah, they're spending more energy on growth potentially. Yes, um, yes, yes. But yeah it's one of those papers where the idea behind it that they were using the calls to all come out together was so compelling. You just think, oh yeah, it'll be true, but it isn't. It isn't true at all. And the, you know, the same is actually true for sea turtles because sea turtles, that they, they were thought to be um, synchronizing hatching, but not the case. They think that for sea turtles, they think it's actually just byproduct of other processes. Like they're moving around. Yeah. They're just like, Stretching out, and as they're hatching, they're probably exerting themselves, and they're just making squeaks because they're trying hard. You know, like like people grunting when they lift weights. So they kind of in sea turtles, they think that they're mostly just grunts. Whereas here, they've actually provided some evidence that in snapping turtles, the uh, hatchlings are coming out with some benefits. They're hatching more quickly, and they're bigger. But yeah, it's still, still a bit of mystery really. And one thing I would say as well is that the snapping turtles they were testing for evidence of like synchronicity of hatching so are they sort of communicating to hatch at the same time and these were clutches of eggs that were hatching over the course of two weeks so they're not exactly if they you know they're not timing it well and obviously they decided that that wasn't the purpose of the calls anyway but yeah does kind of make you think like kind of almost surprises me they still did this study because if the eggs were hatching as collectives over only two weeks i mean it doesn't sound like it's going to help you with predators that much if you're brothers and sisters hatch 10 days later but i guess they're all kind of probably hatching around a center point within two weeks but
1: still. right you imagine a sort of normal distribution around a, yeah. a
0: given point right yeah 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 but well and it was a
1: relatively small sample of, of nests too so
0: yeah but listen if anyone ever comes up to you and says hey guess what sea turtles they communicate in the nest to synchronize their hatching you just taste them no 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 they don't it's a myth but it is a pervasive myth and uh, it's a myth that we must quash. So that's up to everyone. What do we... <sighs> I'm gonna quash them. it, Ben. Look, don't start talking to me about absolutes and ecology. I don't want to hear it. we got to quash this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm just wondering about other species. That's all I'm saying.
0: <laughs> Look, for the time being, we can quash, quash, quash. And then when the truth comes out, we can un- try and undo all the quashing we've done. All right. Yeah. All right. As long as we're on the same page. So, um Yeah. I think we've just had two really interesting papers about vocalizations in in reptiles here. We did a patron episode for Jafe, didn't we, on uh, reptile vocalizations not that long ago. So I'm sure he will have enjoyed this one. But yeah, this was really cool. Have you got anything else on the sounds that Toke geckos make or the sounds that baby turtles make in the nest?
1: No, I don't think so. I think they just, both these papers are great question generators as well as, you know, they've answered something really neat, but... I desperately want to know more about both the situations. <laughs> Particularly yeah, the turtle one, where there's a change in like the complexity of the calls. Like, they, the earlier on, they're making one type of call. Later on, they're making different types of call. Hmm. And you sort of, is that just testing out their vocal range, maybe? Or is that actually have some sort of meaning, and the different calls mean different things? There's so much more to dig up.
0: Yeah. It is fun when the answer to a like a big ecological study is just... It just grunts, mate. <laughs> I get over it, as it was with the sea turtles. But again, there might be they more to story. They can't be, though. There must be something going on there for them to change. If an alien was studying me, right, when I get up from my chair, I've got a bit of a bad back in a minute. So I go like this. Oh, or... Right, you know, because you have a bad back. Yeah, but what's that doing? It doesn't serve any but, function.
1: No, but it's connected to something else,
0: right? Okay. Yeah, kind of a play. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. That was uh-huh. a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Then the aliens now know Carry I have a bad back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe the turtles okay. making cool type six have have
1: you know their feet are uh, got pins and needles or something. It's possible.
0: Yeah. Anyway, let's draw a line under these vocalizations. Have you got any other business for this episode? Not this time, though. I don't think I no, do. Nor me, mate just uh plodding along so um yeah i think that we can say if you want to get in touch with us you can we're on herp highlights at gmail.com if you've got any corrections if you want to ask us a question or if you have anything else just get in touch we're on social media you can find us on there shouts to the patrons at patreon.com slash herp highlights love you guys And yeah, we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.